Hi everyone, this is Victoria Stapleton, Executive Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And I'm pleased to welcome you to this episode of the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. Now, I like almost all of our episodes. It is true that I love some of them more than others. And I'm particularly intrigued and delighted with the episode we're going to do today because it's Um, I am a jaded reader of children's books, and I don't often get to see something uh, new and interesting, but today's author and today's book, I think you will all appreciate it. A.J. Sass is the author, debut author. I am really interested by somebody who has a Juris Doctor degree, because I I don't know that I understand what that means. I, I think it's a J.D. in law, like a Ph.D., and then I'm like, well, why would you study that many rules? But then maybe that's exciting to some people. So we'll find out. Because also, AJ has some several very delightful hobbies, including cartwheels on ice, uh, latte sampling, which I get with completely, willing people and plots into existence with the mere tippity-tap of their fingers. And anybody who uses the, the word or phrase tippity-tap is A-OK in my book. And... High volume book accrual. I like it as a fact and I like it as a description. Uh, AJ's book is a debut book and it is called Anna on the Edge. It is a middle grade book set in the world of highly competitive figure skating. And if the many people who have heard my ranting and raving about really what makes a good middle grade book, you will read this and you will understand that this book has everything that makes a really great middle grade book. It has a starred review from our pals at Booklist Magazine who call it masterful and you should all put it on your shelves and you should read it over and over again. Now I've waxed almost lyrical. I say almost because lyrical is not a word I'm supposed to use. Um, It's overused in children's publishing and I am now going to go put uh, a 50 cent piece in the swear jar because that's worse than any four letter word that I could use. But AJ Sass Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Victoria. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you with us today. I have lots of thoughts about figure skating. I grew up in a time that was before your time, way before your time. I I watched Peggy Fleming in real time at the Olympics, and uh, my grandmother super uh, adored Peggy Fleming and thought no one could ever be as good. Peggy Fleming, even though she, my grandmother really knew next to nothing about ice skating. So I have this idea in, in my mind about it. And when I dove into this book, there were so many thoughts and memories about that time. Watching it every four years was a Dick Button and whoever on the Olympics, but also having so many thoughts about these young women doing these tremendously physical acts and yet having to maintain such a very precise sort of um, physical presentation. I think that means gender presentation, yes, but also what type of gender presentation, but in physical presentation about their, uh, their cut. I remember when Debbie Thomas wore the cat suit on the ice and people lost their minds. And, 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 and that was amazing. So we'll dive into this book. You are telling a story about a character who is discovering their own non-binary or gender fluid nature and 
we've seen books like that, like George by Alex Gino that have discussed this, but not against this backdrop of such a highly structured world, has its own culture, vocabulary, customs, and even rituals. Uh, and these kids throw such a huge amount of themselves, a percentage of themselves into the sport, but figure skating, at least to me, it requires an even greater commitment than say something like basketball or baseball. So what was your decision-making process behind using figure skating as the setting for your story? Well, I did grow up in the sport myself and I think your grandmother's right that Peggy Fleming is one of the tops out there. Um, I was not old enough to have seen her compete live, but I've seen the YouTube videos and she's fabulous. Um, so skating was a, a backdrop that I was really familiar with because I grew up in the sport. I still skate in the sport today, and I'm also a U.S. figure skating official as a judge now. So I'm still very involved within the world of skating. And I thought it'd be interesting to use it as a backdrop for a story featuring our character who didn't neatly fit into categories like a boy and girl. Because you're right, skating is very rigidly structured. There's not a lot of wiggle room for people who maybe don't really identify with either of the divisions that you are allowed to compete in. So I, that was where I started with it. But I was also really interested in exploring the financial costs of the sport. A lot of sports are expensive, but skating is almost next level when it comes to expenses. I mean, you're looking at thousands of dollars for boots and blades and um, costumes that run in the thousands as well. Um, it's not unusual in the area that I live in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, for coaching fees to run upwards of $2 a minute. $2 a minute? Yeah, $2 a minute. Um, you're looking at between about $80 an hour on the low end to anywhere with the top coaches of about $180 an hour. And these top-level skaters have multiple hours a week of coaching, plus ice time costs extra too. So I, I was interested in exploring how not only a skater would navigate um, a non-binary gender identity within the sport, but also how decisions associated with the financial considerations with the sport. I think a lot of kids um, are aware of the costs that their parents are putting into their activities, even if the parents don't explicitly um, make that clear to them. And with my main character, Anna, um, I gave her a, a family situation where it's just her and her mom. Um, in a kind of a working class situation in an expensive city of San Francisco. So uh, I wanted it not only to sort of revolve around, you know, what do I do if I don't identify with this princess theme program that I just received, but also how will this impact my family if I have to make changes by coming out as non-binary to my program? I think that's such an interesting setup because I don't think we ought, we do think about uh, the precision and glamour of skating. I also am old enough and I'm from Portland, Oregon. So yeah, I, Tanya, a thing. I'm of a similar age and remember seeing that. I think it is interesting, particularly in a middle grade setting, because you are seeing kids at that point understanding that the world they experience is in a lot of ways a function of the choices their parents make. And Anna's situation, and I identify with this part as well, being the child of a single mother or a single parent, looking at that parent's choices and sacrifices, but also we're moving into an adult role early of having to take responsibility for choices. It's not about leisure. 
it's not necessarily about fun. It is fun and it is exciting and interesting to Anna, but also she's very aware of the investment consequences, payoffs, etc. Because she is sort of in in this in-between state of child versus adult. Right, exactly. So what did you think about working this out? Um, what were the themes in Anna's relationship with her mother that how did you really tease that out to make it extra pungent? Because it is it is easy to go didactic with this sort of material. And the the book is remarkably non-didactic. It is very, very a very warm and welcoming presentation. It, you're going to get a message if you're paying attention, but you, it's not it's not a vegetable book, as I like to say. Right. So pretty early on in the story, Anna is given the choice to move to a different training facility with her coach um, and is informed that she's moving up a level and also getting a famous choreographer for next season. And during a scene in one of the early chapters in the book, Anna is having dinner with her mom on the night before her first big day at the new rink in Oakland. And she looks around her apartment and uh, she has a best friend um, named Tamar who got her into skating, actually, whose um, family situation is very different than Anna's. And Anna makes the observation that Tamar's living room can fit into her entire studio apartment where she and her mom lives. And that leads Anna to ask her mom, how are we going to pay for this? And I do know that parents often try to shelter their kids from the financial realities um, that they're experiencing, but Anna's mom is quite direct with her that she wants her to focus on training, but it's also an expense and Anna's aware of that. So that gets sort of woven into the fabric of the story very early on. And it's not something that her mom is harping on her, you know, like you better do this because I'm paying so much money for this, but it's always an underlying concern for Anna and the decisions that she makes throughout the novel on whether to come out or not. Um, later on, she's offered the opportunity to get free freestyle ice training time in exchange for volunteering at uh, the Rink Skate School program. So that's an opportunity Anna sees to jump into helping her mom pay the bills without being old enough to actually get a job on her own. And even taking a job would actually compromise what her mom is sacrificing for because if Anna's doing a different job she's not skating or training or thinking about skating. Yep it's a very tricky situation and I know older athletes really struggle to sort of balance the financial component with the the time they need to train and focus on their sport. So let's talk a little bit more about the structure and Anna's emerging adulthood I know you have a lot of, I don't want to get too biographical about this because this is not a biographical book. This is not nonfiction. It's firmly fiction, people. Let's, you know, establish that. But clearly there are some closely, you, you have closely observed a lot of situations and the emotional truth of a lot of situations. I mean, is this common among these, this level of athlete to have this sort of, I'm just fascinated, so clearly defined and structured and yet... When you look at that kid, they're not very structured because they have to be too, they, ha, they have that separation or they have that duality of adult decision-making and awareness of adult consequences and then just enjoyment as a kid. How, how prevalent did you, were you able to see that and observe that and how did that cal help you calibrate the scenes? It's not a 
autobiographical story by any means, um, although I did pull from some of my personal experiences within the sport to tell honest story. But I'm thinking back specifically to when I was training as a kid and it was all business while you're on the ice. You know your parents have paid for that and you better pay attention to your coach or be practicing your program um, in anticipation of your coach watching you later on. Uh, But when we were off the ice, we were very much you know, kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were in the locker room giggling, um, reading books, doing homework in between skating sessions. Some kids were homeschooled. I was not. uh, So I was often there really early in the mornings and would try to sneak in homework on the drives to and from the rink. Um, But when we were off the ice, we we were really just being ourselves, um, whether we were 12 or 16 when we were there. And and there were moments, too, on the ice, and I hope I conveyed this in the book as well, where, you know, they're all focused on what they're supposed to be doing, but there are just moments where, you know, someone makes a really silly mistake and falls on a jump they should have landed, and other people see it, and then it just turns kind of into a giggle fest. And I, I think that's the wonderful thing about a lot of sports is that you can be really serious about them, but at the core, they're for kids, and you're a kid while you're doing them usually, so I think... You can be both, if that makes sense. It's just, it can get a little tricky, especially when you start, you know, qualifying for different big level competitions and stuff, because you really are sort of focused eyes on the prize. But there are moments where you can just sit back and relax or have fun with your friends on and off the ice. You know, um, and I think I've anticipated my second question a little bit shading into this is because I really do think the hallmark of a great middle grade novel is a character understanding that choices are a thing that exist and that there is a power in choices and there is the whole network of adult expectations to be navigated. And I don't even necessarily think that it's that it's Anna's mom's expectations and sacrifices that Anna has to navigate as well. I mean, there's other adult investments in her and it's really, the story is really an interesting introduction to how kids enter into that larger world of adult expectations because her choreographer is not wants to work with Anna because the choreographer sees something in Anna and that's an investment. The choreographer chose Anna. What are the consequences if Anna says, no, I don't want to do the choreography. The coaches invest in Anna. And again, what happens to them if Anna says no? And it's an interesting contemplation of consent in a way. For sure. I'm trying to get at this of, of like, when you were thinking, this is a question I ask a lot of authors so, and answer however you want. When you were thinking about this book and, and it's that ba- balance of plot versus emotional, no, 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 no. I might have to do the three to one myself people. So I can <laughs> raise this follow-up question, but it is the balance. Like we're typically, we typically think of, we read YA for voice and we read middle grade for plot. This happened, then that happened, then this other thing happened. We know we don't know that we're going to expect a huge amount of emotional complexity from a middle grade novel. Don't at me, people. You know what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of moral and psychological complexity to this book. When you were working through it and you have those parts of it, how did you work to balance that? I mean, I guess this is a question about revision and editing, even without your editor. Hello, Lisa. We know you're out there. Um, thinking about that that balance of developing the character with the plot or the plot with the character and the, and the, and the point, the, the moral psychology you needed to work out. Yeah. So 
For this story specifically, I, I feel like it might be a little bit more character driven than a lot of middle grades, just because there was such a strong internal journey component to this with mm-hmm. trying to figure out her identity throughout the story. And then once realizing what it was, how to approach all of the expectations that you mentioned that adults have for her and that she has for herself within the sport of skating. So I think a lot of what I found when it comes to writing and making sure that your character has agency is that they need to be making decisions uh, that drive the plot forward. And in a sport like skating, where a lot of these things for younger kids are predetermined by a coach or a parent or choreographer, that gets a little bit tricky. So for Anna, I like to say that I, I kind of made some skating adjacent decisions that didn't, so she didn't come out and say, you know, I don't want to do this ever necessarily, not in, at first anyway, and I'll, I'll get back to that specific sentence in a moment, actually. Um, but I did have Anna make decisions that, while not necessarily directly impacting skating, still adversely affected it in some way um so as an example i mentioned that she started volunteering at a skate school mm-hmm. and at that school she meets someone who will become a new friend whose name is hayden and during that first day hayden mistakes anna as a boy and anna is both surprised enough not to say anything and also sort of secretly delighted about it because she's been struggling to get into this princess themed program for you know a week and a half two weeks at this point and she knows that being referred to as a boy doesn't quite fit her right but she also doesn't hate it i suppose mm-hmm. um, she's sort of i think she's just thrilled that someone is not seeing her as this dainty little princess and so she doesn't correct hayden that first day and she says i'll just i'll do it next week at the next game school and then she doesn't correct him next week and she doesn't correct him when he invites her to um, uh, an amusement park with his family the week later. And it kind of creates a ripple effect because now she is juggling two different identities, both of which are not correct for her, both on and off the ice at this point. And another example I'm thinking of too is, and this goes kind of into revision. I actually had this story that was a little bit different when it was first acquired by Lisa and then the U.S. figure skating governing body changed the entire pipeline to qualify for nationals and in fact um, omitted or removed nationals from Anna's level. So um, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that Anna won a national title in an opening chapter of her book but now her her journey is a little bit different because there's no nationals at the level that she's going to be at next, but there is an opportunity to qualify for a national training camp. And the summer competitions that used to be preseason warmups are now opportunities for skaters to advance and skip um, the normal qualifying competitions. So Anna immediately recognizes this as an opportunity to save her mom some money. And also after she realizes that she's not binary, she thinks, well, if I get do well enough at the summer competition to get to skip regionals, as an example. I'll have the time and space I need to come out and also save mom money so that we can put that toward a new program that's not as uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. So this decision that she makes is mostly related to um, thinking that by not coming out immediately, she'll actually be able to come out and um, save her mom some money as well. So so it's almost kind of an act of omission, maybe, if that makes sense. Um, but it is an active decision that Anna makes. Mm-hmm. 
I also was thinking as you were talking about this, you know, you as an artist have to make certain decisions. And now I'm thinking about your portrait of Anna. I know this people are just going to groan at me. I'm so sorry, people, but you did, you did know I was a canned ham soaked in Velveeta cheese. It's a long way to say that this is almost a portrait of the artist as a young person. Because in a lot of what we're seeing with Anna is deciding how to, to be an artist. And their art is ice skating. That physicality, that presentation, but also the control an artist should have over the timing and the place and the circumstances of how they do their work. Yes. Um, and actually there's uh, honest coach Alex who is um, a gay man is also introduced um, as having once performed at a European ice show um, with a partner who is female and his role is you know, to be in love with her. So there's this element of what is okay for you to do as part of your performance mm -hmm. and what doesn't align with who you want to be as a person within the sport. And Anna has to decide whether, uh, you know, maybe it's okay for Alex, but maybe it's not okay for me to do the same thing because it doesn't feel right. And it's not something that I can simply a costume that I can slip on and off um, at will, like some other people might be able to. It's interesting to me because I do think, I do harp on this all the time about emotional truthfulness in middle grade. And this really is such an emotionally truthful story. It's sort of an adventure in that Anna doesn't know the end from the beginning. Anna doesn't know the end of the journey. Anna doesn't know what all of the consequences will be of their decision-making. And Anna's, and I, I really feel for mom. I really do. I see my own mom and Anna's mom, even though I was, I'm a very clumsy person, was never uh, a high-level skater or a high-level hopscotcher, only a high-level book accrual person. Uh, and my mom did get after me about that. I'm interested in you writing this book and your own choices about emotional truthfulness. This is not meant to be a biography question, but every artist has to think about those moments that seem most real and most truthful to them. Or let's think of it another way, the most satisfying to them. What was the most psychologically or emotionally satisfying part of this process for you of writing the book? I think, it, I mean, and you said you, this doesn't have to be a biographical answer, but I think I'm going to okay. pull a little bit from my own background uh, because I, I feel like I got to know myself a little bit better through writing this book. And I think internally I already knew this key truthfulness component, but it really was made clear to me as I continued to write on a story is that when I was a kid, I felt like I was the only one who didn't have my life together, I guess. I mean, I had examples of people in my life who just really seemed to know who they were, what they wanted in life. And that was not the case for me, hence getting the Juris Doctor and going to law school um, before I became an author. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that offline. Uh oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of identity, I mean, I really didn't know who I was at Anna's age. So in that respect, Anna figures things out a little bit faster. And I think that can be attributed to part in part because she lives in a more progressive area of the country than I did growing up. I was um, in the Midwest and the South for most of my formative years as a kid. And um, I think specifically with what I wanted to convey of the story and this truthfulness is that it's okay not to have everything worked out. 
And that's specifically, you might note that, you know, Anna is a, a non-binary character. I'm using she, her pronouns for Anna. And that's because it was a decision I made not to have Anna know what pronouns were right for her by the end of the story. I wanted her to know that she was non-binary, but not have everything figured out because I definitely didn't at that age. And in fact, I actually came out as a transgender man in my 20s uh, before realizing that non-binary fit me better. And in fact, I had never heard of non-binary when I initially came out. So I really want to convey, especially to kids, is that if you don't have everything figured out, that's completely fine. If you do, that's wonderful. And I think that's valid. And a lot of kids do. uh, But not everyone does. And Anna was in that situation, too, where by the end of the story, she knew where she was and maybe where she was going, but she kind of had to be open to this concept of uncertainty being an opportunity for her because she didn't have every single detail pinned down by the end of the story. I love that because, you know, we started out talking about the very highly structured world of figure skating. It does have customs and rituals, and it is true that middle grade fiction has its own rules and customs and even vocabulary. And and seeing you as a first-time writer work through these customs and rules to present something that is, I don't want to say outside the lines because kind of what you've done is like, there's no lines. The line, there is no spoon, there is no line. But it's just sort of to think about Anna as a character who is not committing to one role or one to an identity which is what we kind of expect at the end of middle grade fiction is you know a settled state of affairs you know you can be a free-for-all in YA but middle grade they like it tied up yeah exactly that also you as a writer exploring that this using this culture as a vehicle to explore these issues in a way that's deeply accessible to readers of a variety of ages and is rewarding to readers of a, of a variety of ages in different settings. I really f- feel that it is. So that it sort of, now I'm gonna, it, it, it has an ecology that is very welcoming to a lot of different um, readers in different places in their lives. It sort of meets the reader and welcomes them and lets the reader make the story what they wish. Yep, and I, I like to joke sort of that the ending is a, a very non-binary entity ending or like a gender fluid sort of ending because it doesn't yep specifically end with everything having been pinned down and figured out there there's this question of you know I do want to continue with skating but I don't know what that looks like yet Mm -hmm. I want to choose pronouns I don't know if the ones that I ultimately choose will be right for me so maybe I might have to choose another set later on and that's completely fine Uh, I think Anna is now equipped with the knowledge that she has friends and family that support her even if she hits a couple bumps along the way. I'm going to read the end. Is that all right? Yes, that's I fine. love it. I was reading at the PDF, and I was just like, oh, my God, I love this. I set up my triple sow with a flourish of arms and a three-turn. Shoulders check, legs snap together. I'm an airborne blur for three full rotations. The crowd cheers the second I land. My smile reaches my ears, no fighting it back. I'll always be alone when I perform on the ice, but there are people all around who love and support me. 
I'm not sure when I'll absolutely know if I fall in between a boy and a girl or outside that binary entirely. No clue if I'll make it to the national training camp either. And that's fine. Uncertainty feels like less of a burden and more of an opportunity. I am Anna and Anna is I. I'm done being anyone but me. Which speaks to my year old heart. Again, a book that meets a variety of readers wherever they are, welcomes them, and gives them a gentle push to something different. I so love that. And I hope you feel supported as a writer to go on a beautiful journey yourself. I do, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate um, that I queried and... Um, put on it on sub at the time that I did because I, I really haven't encountered anything but support from my agent, um, from my editor, Lisa, who you mentioned, and the entire team at Little Brown. They've just been really enthusiastic about telling honest story in a way that's sensitive and nuanced and respectful to non-binary kids. You already have your next book basically on deck. What is the name of your next book? So my next book is also going to be a middle grade contemporary. It's called Ellen Outside the Lines. Um, it is not a sequel to Ellen, however. Um, and that wasn't intentional with the title. It just sort of fit best. Uh, it is about a 13-year-old autistic Jewish girl named Ellen Katz, who um, is desperately trying to reconnect with her best friend, Laurel, on a school-sponsored summer trip to Barcelona, Spain. Um, Unfortunately for Ellen, the trip does not go as planned, and immediately after it begins, she learns that it will be in a scavenger hunt format instead of the, the regular itinerary that she's already put down in her bullet journal that she expects everything will go as planned. And the, the first big problem is that Ellen does not end up on the same team as her best friend, oh. Laurel. So she basically has to navigate an entirely new um, trip itinerary and also new people that she's not super familiar with while trying to win her best friend back. I um, have got that in my reader. I have a draft of that in my reader because we're starting to talk about fall 2021. I can't even understand that right now. But I sense a theme emerging of you as a writer who explores that emerging middle grade consciousness, that edge where the child turns into a young adult and is confronting those challenges and is really observing and exploring and expressing what a strange and delightful and frightening time that is. Yeah, you summed it up pretty well, especially with the frightening part. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not 12 or 13 myself anymore because that was a really tricky time um, in my life, but it's also really right for exploration and finding universal truths, I think, too, um, that no matter whether you yourself as a reader are Jewish or autistic or non-binary or queer, you'll still find some commonalities with the characters that you're reading because these experiences, these things that they're going through are very universal. Yes. AJ, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you very much for having me. Gentle listeners out there in the virtual universe, I'm going to talk to AJ about Juris Doctor and all of that stuff because I am fascinated. But also, we're going to get the cat back on screen so I can say hi to the kitty cat and make sweet, sweet love to the kitty cat through the, to, through the power of the wireless. You 
need all of you to make the correct life choice and get a copy of Anna on the Edge by AJ Sass on your shelf right now. In fact, it should be on your bedside table, face down, spine cracked open because you have been reading it over and over and over again. Perfect for your bedside table, perfect for your classrooms. Thank you, AJ. We'll see everybody else next time. Now about that Juris Doctor thing.